0: Before we start this episode, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which we're recording this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders, both past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hey, I'm Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. In this episode, I speak with basketball player Kayla George.
1: We would have been the most photographed team at the Olympics for the wrong reason.
0: (laughs) Kayla is a star of Australian basketball, a two-time Olympian and prominent part of Australia's beloved Opals. Kayla is the kind of person that you meet for the first time and immediately you feel connected to. She's warm, funny, so funny. Being an athlete is all Kayla wanted in life. So, too, being a mum. But for Kayla and for so many other female athletes, she found trying to do both incredibly tough, tying in fertility issues and this journey was so cruelly difficult. So when her sister-in-law, who is Torres Strait Islander, proposed the island custom adoption process and essentially gifted her a child, Kayla's world changed forever. Kayla speaks so openly and beautifully about her little pearl and the island custom adoption process that it's hard not to get emotional about it. There's no greater gift than that of life and there's so much love and respect weaved through this practice that so many are unfamiliar with. Kayla also opens up in this episode about the damage caused to the Opals and her friendship with former Opal Liz Cambage following the fallout from the Tokyo Games. But her journey starts as an energetic and loud little Kayla growing up in the South Australian town of Mount Barker.
1: Oh, well, what was I like? Well, mum said I was full of life and I I would sometimes just play with myself and, like, she would say that there would be just my fake friends all around me and I'd just be talking to no one and just... Would just mind my own business and just do my thing just by myself. I didn't really need real friends. It's also nice to have real friends, yeah. but um, yeah, I just was really content with life and really bubbly, and um, not much has really changed. I'm still quite bubbly, content with life. Um, yeah, real yeah, friends, not fake of, friends now. Real friends. I've got yes. some real friends now, not some um, ghost friends. Uh, yeah, so not much has really changed. I still like to yeah, hang out with friends and be a bit of a a bubbly vibe. And um, yeah, I think some people, especially when I go back uh, to Adelaide where I'm from, they forget that I'm not like 14, 15 anymore. It's like, oh, you've like grown up. So well, yeah, I'm just, I don't just sit in idle in time here. Yeah, like I do get weird. older. I do act the same, yeah. but I'm still, you know.
0: <laughs> so was it Adelaide where you grew up and were born?
1: Yeah, I grew up in the Adelaide Hills in Mount Barker. So, for the first 15 years of my life, yeah.
0: Um, Were you a tall child? Um, Because I always ask basketball as that because that's. And and how was that being a tall child for you?
1: Yeah, I loved it. I really like my energy is quite bubbly and I really just thrived off of being like kind of trying to be funny all the time. And I'm tall and I play basketball and I hang out with the basketball guys. Like, so I was kind of always in the back of photos, in class photos. Like, and I was tall, I was lanky, I was real skinny. Um, And then I started doing weights when I entered AIS and kind of like bulked up a bit. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I honestly, yeah, just, I played a bit of netball, did a bit of cricket, a bit of softball, a bit of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But basketball ultimately was what I chose to kind of pursue. Well, how did you get into basketball? So I was nine years old and I'd already started playing netball. Yeah. Um, for, uh, we were called the Violet Crumbles because we were all purple and yellow. I don't Cute. actually know what the team was called. But we would just call ourselves the Violet Crumbles. We were called the Buttercups. And I played so a bit of goal cool. shooter. <laughs> oh, Nice. <laughs> No, I I don't know why I remember that. Um, I think I cracked a joke about (laughs) slippery or something. It was so bad anyway, but Violet Crumbles, very cute. Go. Um, And then I went to the basketball stadium one time, the Mount Barker Rec Centre, and um, one of the under-10s basketball coaches, I don't know if he'd seen me play netball or he just saw this big, long, lanky thing walk in, and he asked my mum if I wanted to give basketball a go. And so my first game was for the Zodiacs. On a concrete court at the Mount Barker Rec Centre on Court One, and let me tell you, if I was told that I'd have to play on concrete now, I probably wouldn't play. My joints and shins would not yeah, allow it. That's hard. Um, not okay. <laughs> Need a bit of spring, but um, yeah, that was my first game on a concrete court. And Is that yeah, how you say yeah the played Mount a bit Barker of both Rex for a while as well. The Mount Barker, yeah, Rex the Rec Centre, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to talk like a local, right. um, <laughs> and. Yeah, so then as time went on, my mum and dad separated and, you know, financially and just physically it was hard for my mum to take my sister and my older sister and I to all the sporting events that we had um, and so she made us choose for a period of time and I, yeah, over the netball and basketball that we were doing, I chose basketball and I haven't looked back since. No.
0: What kind of teenager were you? Because I'm just judging from your personality <laughs> and what you like, what I've seen on the court and on social media. I reckon um, I, just, I think I know. Go, you tell me.
1: Yeah, pretty similar to my vibe now and as a kid, just like a bit carefree, a bit jovial, just like doesn't take life too seriously. Um, I try and stick up for what's right. I've got a pretty big voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and just be really respectful, but, you know, yeah, try and use my voice. And I think as a teenager, I was just kind of navigating my way through, you know, the context of using my voice and how I could use it better each day.
0: When did you know that basketball was for you? When did you see that as a future?
1: I get asked that a lot because, I mean, I've had a really cool career and uh, I am so blessed in what I've been able to achieve. And I honestly feel um, being tall is obviously one thing and that's really great, but it doesn't really matter. We need point guts too. So even though sometimes I try and be point gut, but it's not my role. Um, (laughs) I feel like there was never in my mind, never a time where I was like, oh, I think I want to do this. It was just like, I'm doing this. Mm. Like, this is what I'm doing. And so this is, this is how I live. This is my life. This is what I train like. This is the teams that I want to try and make. And, mm. you know, it, there'd be the little goals of, you know, the under-16 state team, the under-18 team. I wanted to go to AIS. I wanted to make the junior Australian teams and ultimately be an Opal at mm. an Olympics and a World Cup. Um, I wanted to go over to Europe and play. I wanted to go play in the WNBA. So these are all things that I've been able to achieve, which is really cool. But as a teenager... I just was like, well, I'm going to do it. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because, you know, I'm, uh, I think I'm okay. Like, you know, I think what I'm doing is working. Yeah. Well, certainly helped growing up in Mount Bark, a bit of a big fish and small pond. But still I got to go to the city in Adelaide and like, you know, go against the city gals. Um, and then ultimately once I got to the AAS at 15, I got to, you know, train against the best day in, day out and, and the rest is history. What was it like going to the AAS as a 15-year-old? What are your, your memories of those early days? I think I was really ready I was a pretty like I mean uh, even mum being here the last six weeks I was think more sad that I wasn't going to have my washing done for me but um that was probably the (laughs) when I moved to the was like I've got to do my own washing (laughs) Like, oh my gosh um so just learning how to live and be a professional um it was everything's there for you to utilize like the physios the doctors the nutritionists Mm. the psychs the the court the facilities like everything's there Um, And I feel like looking back and reflecting on it, I I feel like I use my time there really well. And I was there for two and a half years and it's, I mean, anytime I go back to Canberra, it's a bit like, oh gosh, I feel like I'm 16 again, like coming into scholarship. But mm. um, I have no regrets about my time there. It, it certainly helped me. And at, at that time, we were actually playing in the league that AAS women were a part of the WNBL, so yes. I really got a taste of the WNBL from very early on as like a 15, 16 year old. That's really um, so, young to
0: move away, isn't it? Because they don't do that program anymore. Yeah, but yeah, in those no, early not days, that young. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of weird so now. I was there for three it was years. so normal back then, but now I think of it, maybe because I'm a mum now. I'm like, geez, that's a big, like, to send your daughter yeah. off at 15 mum the Yes,
1: yeah. yeah. I think my mum struggled a fair bit, um, like, just because I was 15, 16, mm. like, and I was like, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> Love ya. <laughs> just, like, always, like, wanted to just grab life, you yeah. know, by the scruff of the neck and that was just me. She said when I, um, my first day of primary school, uh, my dad had an old green, the Holden Kingswood. Cool. And, um, my driveway was like on a hill, and I slammed my thumb in the door. Um going into school my first day and like before mum could even hug me goodbye I'd already run into class and I had a delayed reaction (laughs) because I'd like completely ripped almost ripped my thumb off but that she did that just you know I was just so like keen to meet new friends and get into school and that was kind of like how it was going to the AAS yeah except I didn't hurt my thumb on my dad's Kingswood yeah that would have been such a heavy door those Kingswoods oh I know right they're like
0: yeah yeah. heavy duty
1: kind of metal there and yeah there's
0: no there's no soft um closes for those things
1: absolutely not to shut it, you had to it, slam shut it. On my thumb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's
0: it. Um, your Opals debut followed not long after that in two thousand and eight. What are your early memories of the Opals? You said you always wanted to play for the Opals. You wanted. You always knew that this was the direction that you were kind of going. What were your early
1: memories of the Opals and who was in that Opal side? Yeah. So when I was growing up, like there were so many good bigs in my position, and I honestly was like, oh, I hope one day I can just like compete at a World Cup or an Olympics with the Opals, like I just would love to go to an event like because there was just so many people in front of me in my position and it was a bit like, oh, gosh, there's a lot of work to do here. Um, And so I I just remember my first camp right before the Beijing Olympics, I knew I wasn't going to make the team. I was still at the AIS, myself and Mariana were on scholarship and we were just chucked into the last one of the last selection camps before they went on tour before they got to Beijing. And my very first drill was against Susie Bakovich, like one-on-one from halfway. And I'm pretty sure I wet my pants and I did like a half court runner and it almost broke the backboard. I was like, what am I doing here? Oh my God, I'm so nervous. And I mean, I ended up winning three championships with her like not long after that, you know, like two say, years down the track Susie. in Townsville. <laughs> yeah, she's a, she's a ripper, a human, but I just was very intimidated by her as a little 18 year old. Um, I think I might've been 17. Um, yep. before Beijing and like she was obviously one of the stars of the team at that point. I was like really my first ever Opal show. I've got to go one-on-one against Susie Bakovich from halfway. <laughs> this is my intro to the Opals. Great. What a foundation. Great. Um, so that's my very first memory. And then just um, when I got cut, I was like, oh, all right, well, that felt good. What a cool experience. Like I got to do the whole camp and mm. it was just a, a, nice, a nice experience and I, I definitely left um, wanting more and, and representing your country is like a feeling like. It's unlike anything else like I've ever experienced in my life. It's just so rewarding. There's so much hard work that goes into it. But when you Mm. can overcome pressure and and get really good results like the Opals have been able to do, um, it's euphoria.
0: Did you feel we hear about that Opals sisterhood? Did you feel that when you were in that squad?
1: Um, I think I was too young to grasp that yet. Mm. I think I was just trying to find my own place. Mm. And I I can't really say, if I told you that I did, I would be lying. Like I just Mm. was just trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. And so they'd probably had already gone steps ahead in their culture to get, you know, the silver medal that they got mm. in Beijing. They were already well ahead of where I even knew I was. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? In in that time, I was just trying to figure out my space in that squad. So mm. yeah, I I had no recollect I've got no recollection of what their culture was like, but I'm sure it was great because they won a medal. So what was your um
0: what was it like then for you to see that and to to witness them? You know, having been in camp with them, and obviously didn't make this the side, but to see them achieve such great heights um, at the Olympics and everything, but then for you to eventually make your debut, what was that then like?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's a pretty surreal feeling to say that you're a part of their silver medal in Beijing. Even though I just was at one camp and I got to, you know, be a part of a small part. I think anyone that's in the squad is a huge part of you know the end result um because without that you know it's the process right it was that um, one-on-one with Susie Bakovich that got you that it that was got there. And, yeah, you know, <laughs> I gave her confidence and yeah. she got a steal and <laughs> she had a great tournament um but even like looking now like and you know you've got Lauren Jackson coming back into the the team just recently and like I watched her in Beijing I watched mm. her in in London and uh, even before that in Athens, they were all on my school book. I had an Athens photo. Sandy Brondello was on that, in yeah. that team. Trish Fallon, <laughs> our coach and team manager for this last campaign. like, And then it's like full circle moments, you know, like my hero you say? That was on your folder, then, on your book at school? It was on my school book, my, uh, the Athens silver medalist team. Wow. Yeah, that was on my school books. Yeah. So really cool. And I just, I mean, regardless if kids have my, the World Cup silver medalist or the Olympic team on their school books and I'm on it, like, I just hope that I can positively impact, you know, a handful of kids, hopefully more, you know, to, to just shine their light and spread their light and positivity Mm. and, and, you know, be a good human and and a good team, a great teammate. I think sometimes that gets a bit lost and people are all about stats and things these days, but I like to, you know, be a bit more of the glue gal and, and help yeah. culturally and make sure, you know, the, the person next to me is doing all right and put people under my wing a bit, you know. Not
0: that far into the podcast, but I think everyone listening to this would go, she'd be the awesome yeah. teammate, I think. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> <Thank> wholesome, <you. laughs> Very, very wholesome. Um, how come you didn't play college basketball? So in my era, out of the 12 or 14 AIS scholarship holders, I think maybe three went to college. Mm-hmm. And I think mainly because a lot of us were already playing in the, the WNBL because mm-hmm. at that time the AIS were in the WNBL. Um, and I felt like I didn't want to do more of the AIS. It was, you know, pretty much the same bit sure. at a college. Mm. Um, and I think now it's become more popular because um, for the guys it's always been quite a, a high option. But now for the girls the last like five years or so, maybe a bit more, it's definitely been more of an option for girls to take that college route. Mm. Um, and the AIS only play in the NBL1 competition now, so they don't really get that um, NBL taste until they, you know, mm graduate from the AIS and then they get to you know go to their, their teams that they choose um, if they don't go to college. So I certainly had um, a few offers from some big schools and I just, I think University of Kentucky, Miami, um, to name a couple, they were sending me mail like crazy. Like every day I'd get mail. Like their recruiting is this next level. Wow. Um, but I just wasn't interested. I'd really just wanted to go home to Adelaide, play for Lightning, um, be with my family and um, just mm. experience the the WNBL from a professional point mm. of view because obviously at the we where, you know, the learning side of it and, yeah, and yeah. learning to be a pro and I wanted to be a pro in the league that I'd already been playing in. So yeah,
0: that's yeah. what I did. You eventually did go over to the WNBA and play for the Phoenix Mercury under Sandy Brondello. There, what
1: was that experience like? I think, um, yeah, I had I had a, a couple options. I could have gone to LA or the Mercury at that time. Mm. And I felt going into the world of the unknown, go to someone you know in Sandy, so because mm-hmm. I um, was coached by her and her husband Olaf in Logan. Yep. so I felt that that was a really good decision for me, and yeah, I was there for two years, and I think Americans love Australians, and um, in terms of how we go about our business basketball wise, um, obviously we're a friendly mobile Aussies, but um, we're just like really tenacious and hardworking and and really quite team players, so mm-hmm. I think that you know um, we're always very welcomed in the uh, American system. Mm. Um, Very unselfish players uh, for the most part. Mm. Um, And so I enjoyed my time there. It was definitely, it had its challenges. Um, You know, lots of travel. There's lots of times where I wouldn't get a lot of court time. So you've really got to stay ready for when your number's called. Like Mm. constantly staying ready can be quite exhausting on the mentals, Um, Mm. especially when it's not kind of like happening and you're not getting those opportunities sometimes. But I mean, Sandy did give, some good opportunity both my years and then I my third year was in Dallas mm-hmm. um and I had some good opportunity there too it was a overall a cool experience um, I certainly learned a lot from my time there and um realizing I'm a lot stronger than I realized mm. um, thinking I was already like pretty good or like in terms of mentally like tough already um, you know leaving there where I probably found some weaknesses in wanting quicker bounce backs after feeling really low and like my self-worth kind of would take a hit a, a fair bit over there and I just learned to navigate ways to make sure that that did hit as much unnecessarily because sometimes I would you know we're all our own harshest critic and, and over in the states I think I, I really navigated that space to learn how to yeah have quicker bounce backs because you have to in life on mm. and off court have quick bounce backs so you can't say low for too long and sometimes you need a little bit longer than others but um, I certainly use my time there to yeah have a better understanding of how far I can push myself. Mentally. What was it like going from the WNBL to the WNBA? Yeah, so the physicality, the speed, the pace of the game. Um, you know, the WNBA is the best league in the world. It's not the highest paid though, but it is the best league in the world, mm. which is a bit weird. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they're just absolute athletes in the States and, um, they're, yeah, it's definitely like a really tough league to play in and a tough league to stay in. Mm. Um, so... I mean, the Devon BO, I think is right up there with the top leagues in the world as well, mm. um, and we get really great imports out each year. Uh, but the Devon BA is absolutely um, the best league mm. in the world. Um, it's, you know, you're playing the best of the best each game. Mm. It's tough.
0: Can we talk then about your fertility journey as uh, an athlete? Uh, uh-huh. wh- what were your early expectations about being a, becoming a mother and being a professional athlete?
1: Yeah, so actually on my goal list, so I've got like going to Olympics, playing the NBA, playing Europe, all that stuff. And then one of chick, my chick, last ones chick. is become a mum and come back and play basketball wow. at, a high le- at the highest level possible. When did you write that? When was that your goal? Um, that was like mid to late like teens. Hmm. as wow. I was setting like some realistic goals for my future. Yep. Not many like people did it back then, future. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, become a mum no, and come back. I mean, be, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I know Trish Fallon, like. She was 26 when she had her first kid and then three months later went and played pro in Italy. Hmm. Um, There are some exceptions, I guess. And then in the WNBA there's a fair few mums that have come back to play, Mm -hmm. you know, the next season after, which is amazing. Um, But, yeah, it's always like a challenge, I I guess, because there's Opals commitments as well and being in the Opals program since 2008, when you're not in season in the WNBL or – um, in the Devon VA if you're home like there's opus commitments. so mm. um, when do you find the time? what are you going to miss? what big event are you going to miss what are you willing to risk
0: mm. missing
1: um, to fall pregnant? Um, and then at that time in my early 20s, mid-20s I was still kind of like just scratching the surface on you know the national team stuff and my first World Cup was in 2014, my first Olympics 2016 I'm like mid-20s at this point mm. um, So do I risk, because I'm, you know, just scratching the surface. Do I try and get pregnant now and risk maybe my role in the future? And mm. so there's a whole lot of questions that I'd, I've constantly been asked myself. And I'm, I know I'm not the only athlete, female athlete that goes to this. And it's not even limited to basketball, like any mm. female athlete, like netballers. I've read a few articles about some of the netballers as well with these, you know, same questions to themselves. And can I get back to the player I was before? Will mm. I get fit enough quickly? Can I, if I have a baby right here, if it works really well, will I make it in time back for the Olympic prep so Mm. like it's nerve-wracking because do I just miss the Olympics because I was two weeks out of being fit enough to you know like it's yeah so many questions play on my mind play have played on my mind yeah um and then you know I've had my own issues with my period and having it delayed and I was on the pill then I stopped it I was on Mm -hmm. the pill for nine years from 16 to 25 and then I stopped because I was like, Oh, I don't really want this in my system anymore. Yeah, I just want to like have my natural period and go from there. I didn't get a period for four years. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, a few specialists later, and um, I eventually, um, I tried to fall pregnant with my husband after the 2018 silver medal at the World Cup in Tenerife through a treatment. I can't even remember what it's called, it's some big name, but it's essentially my ovaries. Like, I wouldn't, um, I had good eggs, but they just wouldn't ovulate by themselves I, right. they needed help um, yeah. and so I did like um, the way that the specialist uh, described it to me it was like one-tenth of what IVF users do now I was doing one-tenth
0: mm. I-, I could not
1: imagine doing the full hog so like kudos to anyone that's done IVF mm. like that knocked me around mm. honestly like the injections for two or three weeks and then the big hormonal one and then I you know yeah my husband and I you know, and then we try and see in a week or two later, like, you know, what the results are. Mm. And they said to do that round two or three times to try and be successful um, in the pregnancy. And after one round of it, I was in season, mind you. I was supposed to say, you still probably trying to play season. sport at the So I would have sport. my lemongrass and ginger tea oh, on the gosh. side because that like helped my nausea. Yeah, and um, it took me probably three or four months after that. We weren't successful in, in, in falling pregnant for just one cycle of it. Mm. And like I said just before, they suggested two or three cycles for ultimate success. Mm. And I said, look, oh, we've got the Olympics next year. I'm too nervous. Like,
0: it's yeah. just cutting it
1: too fine. It ended up being delayed. I was going to say, to the 2020 that. Olympics, yeah. Yeah, so it ended up being delayed. But ultimately, what happened from that treatment is I got my period. Right. It allowed me to have it. It's now allowed me from that time to have a regular cycle. I was about to say, um, was
0: it? It's just, was it what was happening in your body that was stopping you from having your period, or was it because you were also a professional athlete? Because a lot of professional athletes don't always get their periods right
1: i think it might have been a nice combo of both because still to this day like after the world cup my period was like five weeks delayed because of the stress i put in my body after the olympics in tokyo four or five weeks delayed because of the stress that's on your body physically mentally um yeah and so yeah once you know four or five weeks later when my adrenaline's completely down and like i'm not you know training like i was in the prep or Mm. at the event like then my body's like oh hold on a sec yeah. But at least I'm we can still do getting my now. period. So I'm still really, yeah. So I think it might have been a combo of both, mm. um, in my professional expert opinion. Yeah,
0: well it's your body too. Sometimes we know <laughs> yeah, our bodies better, yeah. right? Like I believe yeah, that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I think um being an athlete is certainly you you do have a lot of stress on your body. And um, but I also am so grateful for the decision to try and fall pregnant because it essentially gave me my period. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I hadn't had it in four years, and it was starting to get really scary.
0: Yeah. Did they give you any indication of what your chances were of conceiving naturally?
1: Um, I think in that space it was going to be really hard before I did that treatment because he said, like, you've got some good-looking eggs there, but um, they're not ovulating by themselves. So mm-hmm. I definitely needed that help in that space. Now, at that point, I wasn't like I wasn't getting a period, and now i get a period and like a painful one not like a pain like a excruciating pain but like a normal period pain like i get the cramps stuff i never had that before because i was on the pill right yeah so yeah um i get like i experience a normal period now which is um so i'm hoping that i don't have to do that treatment and yeah. when i do try and then after I'm, i'd like to go to the next i'd like to do everything i can in my power to work hard train hard make that team go yeah. to paris um, and then my husband i'll be 35 yeah. And then my husband has been very patient. <laughs> so I think uh, I, I know I'll definitely try and have a baby after that time. And and look, it couldn't, it could take me a year or two to fall pregnant. Yeah. So I'll still continue to play and do my thing, but we'll definitely be actively trying yes. after that, after those games. So
0: you decided it was too close to the Olympics to take the risk in in going further with IVF and and trying to fall mm-hmm. pregnant. When did the discussion about your next step take place?
1: Yeah, so I wasn't doing IVF, sorry, just to like make sure, sure people no. are, yeah, confused. It was just the treatments, like one-tenth of the treatment is to help my eggs drop, I guess, sure. um, and then everything else can be natural after that. Um, so the next step, can you ask the question again? Sorry, I just completely. <laughs> so the next step, rec-
0: is it Kupai Omaska? Is that how you pronounce it in terms of? Um, I
1: just. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's how you announce it, but it's um pronounce it, but I just usually say island custom adoption. Uh, yeah. It's the easiest way to kind of go about it. Island I custom I Definitely like that. Um island so custom adoption. Yeah, that's yep. a bit easier. Um so it's been yeah, been around for generations in the Torres Strait Island culture. So after the Rio Olympics, um my uh, sister-in-law had told my husband, I like, hey, like I'd love to gift you guys with a, a child when, you know, the timing's right. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what an incredible gesture. I've mm. been a part of their family since 2011, so I was aware of this um, tradition yeah, or this gift-giving of a child. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, amazing. Whenever the time's right, let's talk about it, cool. Obviously it wasn't at that moment. Um, and she was, you know, she'd had two more kids of her own after that anyway um Mm. and then I got home from my uh we talked about a little bit over the years as well so it was always kind of like something that was spoken about yeah like such a random surprise and she knew there'd been like times where we tried she knew I'd had trouble with my period I was very open with her about all that she Mm. knew that we wanted to have babies um and then yeah I guess I got back from winning a championship this March in um Melbourne here and I got home she's like Kayla I'm nine weeks pregnant and we were like oh my gosh well, actually, the timing could not be better. Uh, let's do this. Like wow. there was no way that I was yep. not going to do it. That my husband and I weren't going to do it. Um, and yeah, we haven't really looked back since. We've just kind of enjoyed the journey and and tried to get a better understanding of the the island custom and and tradition and culture. And yeah, I guess I'm forever learning. And and Pearly girl is just a dream. And I can't wait to share with her you Know the selflessness of her birth mom and yeah, and tell her the journey.
0: Yeah, can you explain island custom adoption for, for people because it's since become Queensland law, what only two years ago or yeah, something? But crazy. it's been going. Can you explain to me because this might seem different to to some people? I was fascinated when I heard about this and, and yeah, thought, what course. a beautiful, beautiful custom. But can you explain
1: that? Yeah, so, um, if someone in their family, uh, in a family is struggling to have kids or is unable to have kids, um, someone can choose to gift them with a child um and it happens quite often and it, usually it's just um a verbal agreement mm-hmm. um before the all the legislation came in in 2020 like the verbal was as good as gold yeah um but now that there's there's a bit more paperwork involved i guess you know there's legalities you know with yeah. you know if there's a parent that's passed on and they haven't done all the paperwork properly it just can get a bit messy so sure it's really great that this is put in place now and that's mm. how we're going about adopting pearl through this island custom way which is different to the regular way of adopting a child mm. um, it just recognizes the the tradition in culture and essentially puts us on the birth certificate takes the birth parents off mm. um, and so yeah uh they truly believe if after they give someone a child that they and that uh, they struggle to have their own um, or have had challenges that they will have their own they they really believe that and more right. often than not it actually really happens oh right so yeah Yeah, so, um, yeah, I've heard multiple stories of oh, yeah, so and so couldn't have kids. We she got gifted a baby from you know, auntie, and then she had her own two years later, or whatever. Like, it's stories like that everywhere. Mm. Um, and so the timing couldn't be better (laughs) for us to you know have that potentially happen in a a year or two, like after the next, the next Olympics is a year and 10 months away, um, which is very, very close, but um, yeah, so that's essentially what it is, and it's very common. Um, and been done for generations and, yeah. In like Torres Strait Island As good as gold. Culture. In, in the Torres Strait Island culture. Yeah. 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 So. Do you remember your reaction yeah, when you it.
0: first learned about, about this?
1: Yeah. So I just started dating Lu, and um, his sister, my sister-in-law had just gifted uh, her second child to their mum, mm. who they're all living in the same house, but mum just wanted to raise another child Mm. so they were all in the same house anyway so sister or already was in the house helping raise um who was now her sister Mm. um biologically her daughter um, and so I got a grasp of it then because I was like, what? Like, that doesn't make sense. And now she's mom and like, has, yeah. that's her daughter. Like, So I got my head around it then. So I understand people like now and they're like, what? She's just giving you a baby. I'm like, yeah. yeah, I know. It's so like beyond people's like wildest like thoughts, but like it really is as simple as that. It's such a selfless gesture. And so it's selfless. like the highest form of respect in their culture yeah. is to give someone a baby. So I felt like I feel so honored and. When I had to take her from the hospital, I felt so guilty when I had to bring her down to Melbourne for work. Mm. I felt terrible. Like my sister-in-law, she's been so like, Kayla, don't cry. It's fine, (laughs) Kayla. And I asked her, are you sure? Are you sure? And um, she came back to me in hospital with Kayla. I truly believe that I've just been babysitting her for you for the last nine months. She is your bubba. I'm just auntie. And so when the doctors and nurses would come in, they'd speak to Serena. Wow, I that's her name. And she would um, I tried to avoid saying it, but I just said it. But she would say, "That's mum. I'm auntie." And so it was very, it was a really overwhelming time. And I still pinch myself to this day. Like mm. I just stare at Pearl, and I'm like, "Oh, she is just so beautiful." Mm. Um, and I'm just so grateful for such a a generous, selfless um gift.
0: I think it's just beautiful. When I first read about it, yeah. I just thought, I thought exactly the same. Like in, incredibly selfless so beautiful and and what a gift to give yeah. someone you know like the yeah. gift of becoming a mom and you know if it's yeah. difficult for someone in your family to be able to do that for them is is i yeah. mean it's i mean it's along the same lines as you know i've i've got friends whose siblings couldn't have kids and they've donated their eggs and and everything like that yeah. it's along those those same lines right it's just yeah yeah a really yeah. beautiful beautiful thing. so
1: yeah and well we- I've got on my Instagram the video of me in the theater like of me yeah. seeing her for the first time I don't know if you've watched that yes. um that's you know pulls at the heartstrings there but yeah. like I still cry when I watch it because it was like so uh, like I couldn't even cry in the theater because it's like <laughs> I just was like oh, yeah like unreal feeling yeah um so and it's still probably hard for people to understand. Like she just gave a baby away and, and that's not really my problem. Like I just, no. I just explain it as I've explained it to you and and I'm just so happy. I mean, it's culture, and, and right, feel, as well. It like is, it's it understanding.
0: Is. And I thought it was yeah, it was probably good to do this podcast because I wanted to learn about this culture. I wanted to know yeah. about what happened and, and understand it. And I think it's important for other people to understand different cultures as well. But that's like part yeah, of absolutely. our Australian culture and Torres Strait Island yeah. culture.
1: Right. And some people like some birth parents, once they give the baby away, they're like that she's yours or he's yours. Mm. Like that's we're done here. But in our case, um, I want Pearl to have an understanding. I Mm. want her to find out like, you know, from us and not like, you know, from her cousins when they're having a play date or something. Mm. I want her to really like have a good understanding. I I mean, that's what I hope for. And I want her to know that she was she grew in, uh, you know, Auntie Nina's belly. And I want her to, you know, grasp that. and that's the choice that it's completely on, on me, what, how I go and my husband, Kylie, how we do that. And mm. we've decided like, without even questioning, like, oh my gosh, she's going to know that auntie Nina is, you know, she grew in auntie Nina's belly and that like, mm. she's going to know the whole process and, and have an understanding of how beautiful the gesture and the culture is of the Torres Islander people.
0: Yeah. I love it. I think that's really the ultimate, the ultimate gift really like that a family member yeah. can, can give another, oh,
1: um, of
0: life. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So what was it like the first time that you had to take little Pearl home? Because you were talking like in the World Cup, you were talking about her, you know, uh, on your Instagram and in interviews and you were saying like, you know, you know, I'm becoming a mum as soon as this World Cup's over, she's going to be born and and everything like that. Uh, You know, you had a long time to kind of get used to that idea, but then to be able to
1: take, because you had her name, right? Beforehand. Yeah. But to take her home. So we made, yeah. We named her Pearl to pay homage to the Torres Strait Island Waters, which a couple of decades ago was like probably deemed one of the wealthiest waters in the world due to people coming from all over to dive for their precious pearls. Wow. Um, so I just was paying homage to culture love and that. history of their waters. Mm. Um, and Pearl's a beautiful name. It's like, gorgeous. Oh, it's just so stunning. I love it, little pearly yep. girl. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was a really surreal time, even like when I was getting gifts that was really cool, like getting gifts for Pearl. I was like, Oh, this is great. Like, oh <laughs> Pearl's so spotter ready. People give me little Camilla onesies or seed outfits. Oh like, nice. This girl's gonna be stylish. Um, <laughs> but then still to, in that moment, I was like, This is so weird. I'm getting baby clothes. Why am I washing baby clothes yes. and getting ready for a baby? This is so weird. <laughs> um, I guess because you know, I'm not pregnant myself. It was yep. it was just an, an interesting mind space to be in. Um, mm. but obviously like so excited, mm. um, but just didn't seem real. Mm. It didn't seem real. And then obviously in the hospital, like I had to wait until she um, Serena was prepped for like a good 45 minutes. And that was probably the sweatiest I've been in my life. Mm. <laughs> I was so sweaty, just so <laughs> nervous. Um, but to meet her was like, she was just. So chubby and like just, oh, it was amazing. <laughs> you know, you've got kids. If yeah, you, Yo. you know, when you meet your kids for the first time, yeah. And Serena, it was, it was so beautiful to experience it with her because of COVID. Yeah. I can only have myself in there, and Kylo, my husband, came to the yeah. rooms after. Yeah. So just to have that experience with Serena um, was just like just a two. We had us so close, regardless of yeah, you know, we're we're pretty close anyway. Mm. Um, but this experience was just like a whole different level of of closeness and bond with myself and Serena and. I'm getting a bit teary-eyed thinking about it yeah
0: it's beautiful
1: um but yeah we it was just to experience that with her and looking back at the videos of us just like yarning in the in the theater and you know what she's done for me to and and then the healing that she had to go through like because she had a cesarean and Mm. yeah just for her to do that for us I say me like my husband got a part of it (laughs) he's there too for us um just like I'll I'll forever be grateful like I took her and got her nails and you no know, toes and fingers done, a little manicure. I've booked her in to get a, a nice little day spa because I can, I really, there's nothing I can do no. to say thank you more. No, so how do you... let me just spoil you for this life. Thank you.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what well, yeah. do you, how do you say thanks? That's right. But she doesn't, she didn't do it. that, right? <laughs> to get something in return. No, she No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. yeah. You're yeah, tearing up, beautiful, right? Beautiful for, beautiful for those human, who yeah. can't. She's like
1: the best human. Yeah. Those
0: who can't hear. In Kayla's voice, yeah. there's, makes oh. you, makes you emotional.
1: So fresh yeah. too. Yeah. 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 It's unreal. I said multiple times this chat, like I pinch myself every day. Like she is my daughter. Mm. Like, whoa. She's mm. got really long hands and fingers and toes. So I'm like, oh, she does look like me. She <laughs> start playing basketball. The funniest though, part definitely. though it's when people don't know like the scenario because like obviously like some people like when we're flying and travelling and, you know, oh, my oh, yes. gosh, when we first moved out, oh, she's nine days old. Oh, you look so fabulous. Oh, <laughs> congratulations. I'm like, thank you. That's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Doing my thank exercises you. oh, you're beforehand. Yeah. Oh my gosh, flying <laughs> at five weeks—that's crazy. I know. Thank you. Is that <laughs> how you
0: handle it? You just like it's too hard yeah, to I go just... into this. Let's just take sometimes that. it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: in the middle of a flight from Perth to Melbourne, you're like, oh, thank you so much. Just no, easiest. I'll have to take my tea, yeah. It's I like... know. I just
0: want to go to bed or <laughs> <laughs> get to sleep. Yeah. Or my daughter sleeps. Right. So how? Because you're still you're right. playing the WNBL at the moment. You just finished the World Cup. Yeah. Pearl was born. WNBL uh-huh. started. How are you finding? the juggle I hate calling it the juggle um but it is a juggle of being a mum and, yeah. and being an athlete so how are you finding
1: it yeah look it's been so far so good Pearl's a really cruisy baby um and I've got great help uh, at home here my mum was here like I mentioned earlier now my sister's here and my husband gets here in a few days so when I do take her to the stadium there's people on the sidelines looking after her too yeah um And when we're on road trips, like, I've got a carer that comes. So it was my mum for a bit. It'll be my husband in the next part of the season. Mm. So, yeah, it's really, I feel really well looked after. And I feel, and I said this before she was born, I feel like there's no way I can fail because of the community, like, the family support and basketball community support I have. Mm. Like, I just don't feel like I can fail. So that gives me, like, a lot of, um, you know, good vibes about just trying to be the best mum I can be because I know I've got such good help and advice and just, good people beside me to help me along the way
0: because the system has changed right do you ever think back to maybe not that long ago maybe just five years ago where you know there weren't parental policies in place in basketball as there weren't in in a lot of sports to help I, I think we looked at pregnancy through a male lens rather than a female lens in terms of a lot of, I yeah. remember because I was at the forefront of some of those discussions in sports organizations and they're like, but you know, we don't do it for the men. We're going to have to do it for the men. I'm like, stop comparing it to the men. This is women's sports. It's females. This yeah. is different. We have different responsibilities. Um, so look at it through a female lens only, but do you think about, you know, cause it wasn't that long ago, the basketball introduced that policy and it was difficult for mums beforehand.
1: Yeah, like I, I wouldn't be able to go on road trips like that's So mm. then essentially like that's half the season. So then do I even have a job? Mm. You know, like it's it's challenging to think about that. And it sucks that not long ago it, w- it was that scenario. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm just really grateful that times have changed. And I feel like it still irks me that times didn't change sooner and that just in generally in an, a quality space that things haven't changed. I think that time is a lot of huff-bluff about, you know, oh my gosh, there's so much. We're you know so progressive, and mm. there's so much you know that's been done. It's like, yeah, I feel like there's one step forward, eight steps back at times. And I feel like the media sometimes can hype up, you know, how good the and the gap at closing has become. But I just mm. don't think that we're really even close. Mm.
0: How do <laughs> I we think get there's closer? There's so much to be done. What needs to be done um, to get closer?
1: Yeah, I feel like doing you know stuff like this, you know, mm. podcasts with female athletes on, and and having access and easy access to watch us play Mm. Um, I feel like in the WNBL there's been some struggles with our broadcasting the last
0: you know few weeks
1: of the start of the season and that's been really annoying because you know why Mm. why is there always like a challenge or a hurdle is it financial is it this is it that like so I feel like we need to get to a space where you know we don't have you know these simple challenges like having a good Mm. broadcast so that people can easily access our games Mm. of high quality and want to enjoy the game of high quality on their tv um, you know, I look at the AFL who are AFLW who are six years old, seven years old, and they've completely overtaken us, and we're the oldest league in the one of the first ever broadcast deals. You and the old.
0: W League back in the day were the only two women's sports really with consistent broadcast deals. Yeah, yeah. So
1: the netball, the AFLW has all overtaken us, um, and that really, like, I love that as a female, love that as a female athlete, absolutely love it. But Let's not, like take over, but. Mm what are we doing? Yeah. You know, something's held, like, why isn't basketball progressing like mm. that either? So, um, I think there's yeah, definitely a ways to go in, some, in a lot of areas. And I, yeah, I get kind of a bit, um, fired up when it comes to, um, equality stuff, because, um, yeah. I feel like part of the job of being a female athlete is to remind people that we exist and mm. that we're here and to encourage people to support us, which, mm. um, is an element of the men's game. That's games Mm. whatever sport that's not really required Mm. we're going to jump ahead here but seeing as you brought it up
0: I I did want to talk about (laughs) the the WNBL coming off such a successful World Cup campaign from an athlete those first few weeks when there were those broadcast issues how disappointing was that oh
1: I I was embarrassed I was really embarrassed um because we had such a massive momentum Mm. from the World Cup and then I feel like that all went to waste Mm. All, yeah. all of it. I just didn't feel like it was utilized at all, and I was just embarrassed. Like I wasn't going to be telling people to turn on the game. Like how mm. embarrassing! Oh, and, you know, try and watch this if you can. But mm. I mean, it's been a bit of a challenge. Like, can, what? How mm. am I promoting the game when we're like, sorry, yeah. it might not work. But I've yeah. struggled to watch other games. I'm sorry. Like yeah. I'm apologizing for the league. Like you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, um, and I don't know the ins and outs and behind the scenes stuff. Like, I haven't spoken to the Divin or anything like that. But you've just asked me how I felt, and I was embarrassed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. everyone was just incredibly, I get that, embarrassed and, and disappointed because this should have been just carried on and being yeah. able to, like, push the league even further. Going from, I mean, because you've been involved in WNBL for a really long time and, you know, you've yeah. seen such incredible change. But what has it been like for you? we has, has, has it progressed at the rate you expected or would have hoped the WNBL?
1: No. Mm. (laughs) not at all yeah there's definitely small steps but um I just feel like at times we just sit idle Mm. um and I mean maybe there's stuff in the works to do some really cool stuff this season next season I'm not sure but I feel like there's always a lot of big promises and um again I bring it back to just always trying to promote our game and always the grind of like reminding people that we're here is so relevant and Mm. even more so this season Reminding them that we're here and also at the same time apologising that the stream might not be great. Like, and that in itself yeah, is no. just so disappointing. Yeah.
0: In 2022, yeah. though, I mean, yeah, the coverage was better 5, 10 years ago than what it I is. I was just about
1: to say when we had ABC or, yeah. um, like, just not, yeah, just yeah. yeah, yeah Yeah.
0: Yeah. And they have, but, yeah, it was, especially in those first few weeks, incredibly disappointing. Yeah. I want to talk about the World Cup because we loved it. But to do that, I think... I think we have to go back to Tokyo, though, and talk about, oh, okay. about Tokyo. Because um, we had Sandy Brondello on on her game um, before the World Cup and she described it as a dark period for the team. Uh, is dark strong enough or too strong? A way no, to I think describe it's pretty that.
1: accurate. Mm. It's pretty accurate. It was a, um, yeah, there was a lot of trauma that stemmed from that Um these are such strong words.
0: Sandy used that as well, trauma, dark, black.
1: Yeah. Well, you've got you've to understand like the mindset to prepare for an Olympic Games is crazy. Like you've got to be so sharp and you've trained, you're in your physically peak condition, you're mentally ready to go and then at the height of that you're right, right there about to go and then this trauma happens, which is like pretty crazy, mm. pretty unexpected But also not a surprise with behavioural stuff from previous times, Mm. Um, and then you're expected to go and perform at an Olympics with a star player down, while the whole world is scrutinising you for kicking your star player out. But they had no idea of the understanding of the story until just like not long ago. Yeah, (laughs) like earlier this year. Why couldn't Um, we know the story more?
0: Why couldn't that's at the time Um, I'm like. We need to know the story because we need to understand what's happening to get behind the girls and to get behind the Opals. But everyone was so quiet for like a year.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, that was really hard because, like, I being the big voice that I am had a lot to say because I was really over getting just, like, spoken about in a way that just wasn't true Mm. um, as the Opals Collective. And, um, yeah, I think what needed to come out came out earlier this year and that was really great. And maybe time needed that to happen the way it did and that's totally fine. Um, but I think for us, we couldn't dwell in that moment. We had an Olympics to play mm. um, and to kind of to bounce back and deflect that constantly every day while trying to enjoy the Olympic experience, while trying to perform up to the Opals Legacy Standard um, was really on. exhausting. Yeah. It was really exhausting. Um, but I think, you know, I actually don't look at Tokyo as a complete failure only because we're an Olympics. Yeah. So that in itself is success. Mm. Two, I think our culture was definitely challenged and stretched and had a long way to go in becoming how we got to where we are this year. Um, but I also think that the Opals legacy is so strong and they've won so many medals in the past few decades that we have such high expectations of ourselves that when we just fail a little bit, it's like, we're just so our self-worth is shot. We're all horrible where, and we get that from ourselves and externally as well. Mm-hmm. So it can be really hard to deflect a lot of that. And I mean, a lot of people struggled. Mm. post Olympics it was hard it was a hard come down because coming down from an Olympics for any athlete is already challenging in itself mm. regardless of success or not if you medal or not you ask any athlete there's a come down period after Olympic. you've gone to the peak of your sport and then after it's done there's nothing what's mm. next like so there's always a come down period so our come down period we were in quarantine for two weeks oh, so God, if you add anyways. that on top of our trauma yeah. on top of the quarantine mm. on top of the self-worth on top of the outside bubble attacking us for whatever because the opals deserve to you know be better blah 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 whatever so that was a really challenging time and obviously we put pressure on ourselves um to and that's part of the euphoria that you feel when you do find success especially wearing the green and gold because the opals have had such success for such a long period of time and we hold pride in that Mm. um and so we knew we were a better team than what the results showed from Tokyo and we came close we only lost to China by a couple points of a terrible call we lost to Belgium we flunked that first game but our bodysuits were weren't in a good you know they weren't the right bodysuits we're fiddling with them all game there was stuff Mm. that happened that people don't know about um and look we take responsibility yeah we lost the games we're the ones that were playing yes of course so there's not like oh it's that fault it's that fault it's that fault but there were certainly things at play behind the scenes that didn't make our Olympic campaign um very smooth and Mm. I think I think our campaign was as successful as it could be while we were navigating through some pretty heavy stuff.
0: Yeah. What happened with your bodysuits?
1: Oh, so um, (laughs) we were in Vegas. We tried on the bodysuits and they were dark green on the bottom, like a beautiful dark green and like the green that you saw, like the lighter green Um, and when we were training in them, we asked to have them like months prior so that we could get used to them because I hadn't worn a bodysuit since I was 16, 17, but I was one of the ones that really was keen for it. Some weren't some were I, we wanted yeah, it to J-H- be our baggy them. green. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted it to be our like baggy green. Yeah. Um and so we tried sure. them on. We all had we all had humongous camel toes and we all <laughs> were like sweating and you could it, we just looked like we had really sweaty fannies and camel toe <laughs> like we would, we would have been the most photographed team at the Olympics for the oh, wrong reasons. Yes. Like we were like this can't, oh, we cannot no. be this, like they're going to just take photos of our camels all tournament oh. and it's going to be horrendous. Like we're going to jump and it's going to be a giant camel. We're going to be playing defense like whoa, oh, like too much. No. People are going to see what we had for breakfast. We cannot have Vote this. to self, this is so, everything
0: that's wrong with the bodysuits. Right. Yeah. So They didn't come back for the World usually,
1: Cup. Usually, yeah. no, no, usually on the bottom there's black. Mm. And it's sewn a little differently. Like the seam can't go up the middle because like hello, like what? It has to come up the sides. It was a seam it can't up, come the up the middle middle, because that's that's your hoo-ha. So you've got to have the seams <laughs> on the side. So they eventually fix the seams, but we only got those uni- the bodysuits for game one 30 minutes before we left on the bus to go to the game. Oh. Now, when you're trying to prep for a game, you're in your uniform. Some people are in the uniform two hours before. So we're waiting, like, where are our uniforms? They didn't have the right ones made yet. So we had to have these other ones and they weren't lined properly. They weren't double lined. So they were just like a single layer of lycra. Oh Jesus! And so that's why they were, we all had to wear black skins underneath. Oh. Silly me wore blue skins. So all oh. the game one photos, all my blue skins are coming out. I'm lucky I didn't get fined <laughs> from the Olympic police of uniforms. Um And we were oh, no one had their game. period so, or anything. That would just right. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember anyone complaining about that. But in the second game, we God. finally had the corrected. Proper bodysuits that were corrected with the right double lining, with stuff that mm-hmm. there's stuff around the bottom of the shorts that helps them stick to the skins so that are mm-hmm. right up, all that stuff. So from game two onwards, we had the proper bodysuits, yeah. which actually ended up being okay, but there was already such trauma about the how the bodysuit had been handled Gosh. that after the games it was like, Oh, they've got to go. Uh, but if it was just yeah. done correctly, I think there would have been a better experience. I but can't believe you're still, still was sticking was. up for the bodysuit. <laughs> I know, right. well, I love it because the <laughs> Europeans. You can't get grabbed, and I like the feeling of running around completely starkers. It was great, felt <laughs> really pro. I love it. Oh, I had no idea.
0: That's yeah. Awful. There was a lot
1: that went on. Okay, on trauma. I'm trauma trauma, trauma. trauma.
0: Forget Liz Cambage and everything else that was oh, going God. on. Oh, and you talk about you know you haven't said her name, but it was everything that happened pre-camp with Liz Cambage and the fight that broke out with the Nigerian team and things were said by Liz reportedly that were racist. For you, you know, with your husband being Torres Strait Islander and and everything, did that get to you? Did it hurt you even more hearing that from Liz?
1: Um probably more so for Ezie, our Nigerian teammate. Sure. Um that's probably where my hurt started with um because it really it yeah it wasn't a nice thing to happen and for her to have to um, be a part and listen to that was pretty mm. terrible. And so my my heart straight away went to Ezzie first and foremost. Um, and, yeah, it's not something that I would have ever thought I would have ever had to be a part of or hear coming out of a, another teammate's mouth. So um, mm. that in itself was pretty traumatic. I've mm. used that word a lot. Very accurate. how right. <laughs> I felt.
0: Well, I think yeah. it's important for the public to understand as well, like, What went on? Are you, I mean, you've played with Liz for some time. Are you two still talking is the door? You're shaking your head? No.
1: No, we don't. uh, Well, she removed all of us opals as friends on Instagram um, after the BA um, investigation came out. Um, So that's, that's all she wrote. I, Is that got, doubly hurtful, considering
0: everything you've been through um, together?
1: Well, it hurt me. It hurt me a little bit more just cause like I, there was a lot of energy on my end to, for our friendship. Like we were, yeah. I'd always, you know, she hadn't been spoken about very highly in the Australian public for a while. And I'd always have her back with a lot of things. And, yeah. and that was just um, like the first time that I was like, you know what, I really can't have your back anymore. And it was, I, losing a friend sucked, but um, how she behaved wasn't appropriate, and um, yeah, mm. look, I'm not losing sleep at night that she removed me as a friend on Instagram. Like, I'm not the one that you know I was there and mm. I experienced what happened, but I I wasn't the one that had the words come out of my mouth. So, um, look, I I hope that she's happy and I hope that she's doing well, but we we are not friends on Instagram or we haven't spoken um, since Vegas.
0: Is the door shut on that friendship? Do you um, think is there too much? I, I don't. Hurt?
1: No, I don't hold like a whole, like a lot of grudges like that. I don't, it's not really healthy for my heart. Like I, I like to think that I forgive. I'd be happy to have a conversation with her if she had something to say, but um, look, I. She has to make that my, Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be going out of my way to, um, to make any first moves, that's for sure.
0: Um, Sandy said that this World Cup that we've just seen in Australia on home soil, I mean, it's. I'd say it's once in a generation thing, you know, like it's not often that you can be at the right place at the right time in your career to experience a World Cup on, on home soil. It's something incredibly special, but it was part of the healing process, wasn't it, for the Opals really, yeah. after that campaign?
1: Yeah. I mean, looking back on it now that we won a bronze medal, like thank goodness we were back on the podium. And it's so funny that I say podium <laughs> because in the lead up to the Games, Uh, In Sydney, I was like, "Oh, we just need to get back to the podium. We need to get back to the podium. I don't care what color. We just need to get back there." Right. Like that's just why is that important? That we are, yeah, because of Tokyo and people were like, "Oh, the ovals are terrible without big superstars." No, Mm. we're not. No. Let us show you. Mm. Um, you know, with the right preparation, we had three camps before Tokyo and a whole six months. Like it's not enough. Mm. So, and we had no prep games besides, you know, a Mm. handful or maybe three before the games. Mm. So this prep was so different. We had, yeah, it was COVID as well last year. Mm. So um, the prep was so different and we, we're more prepared. We had way more games. Um, and we get to, you know, get on the podium. And they decided for the first time at World Cup to not have podiums. Oh, they just had one stage for the gold medalists. So like, oh, what about the podiums? We've been speaking about the podiums for this whole year. Oh, gosh. I a mean, philosophical, <laughs> pro, you know, podium. You say podium, you know, that's bronze, right. silver,
0: or gold, right?
1: Yeah. Please give us a platform. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was really happy that, you know, to be able to, have success at a home world cup because people forget there's the trauma that we're dealing with from Tokyo. There's now added pressure because it's our home world cup. Mm. And that in itself was (laughs) a lot. That was exhausting. (laughs) That pressure. Holy, that was a lot. And like the pressure from outside the bubble, the pressure on ourselves. Mm. like, Yeah. That first, first French game, I think all the anxiety and pressure came out and we Mm. didn't play the brand of basketball that we wanted to. But it set us up to finish top of the ladder anyway, top of our pool. And, I mean, we couldn't have had a better crossover. Like, it, yeah. it all kind of worked out really well. We unfortunately dispelled China. But, um, yeah, there was immense pressure from every which yeah. angle you could think of, from in to out to everywhere. Yeah. Um, and added on top of that because it was a home World Cup, it was just, like, unreal. Everything. So I probably could have slept for, like, three weeks straight after we'd won that bronze yeah. medal purely just because of, you know, the trauma. The pressure, the wanting to do it so badly just mm. to like, prove everyone wrong and whatever from Tokyo. Um, and so when I subbed off with, like, three minutes to go or whatever it was in the bronze medal game, I, don't, I think the camera stopped working for people watching it on TV. But I was sobbing on the bench, like, sobbing, yeah. sobbing. <laughs> like, Whoa. <laughs> I'm like sobbing because I was just so relieved and happy that we could yeah. come back to a place of Opal's legacy that made sense.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, do you know you you say that the bronze, but it was everything that you showed us throughout that World Cup—the way you girls played, the way you girls held yourself, the way you spoke and reacted to the public. I mean, I mean that was that was what did it. I don't, and yeah. I, I don't think the public ever lost their love of the opals at all. I think we just gained a whole lot more because you gave us so much joy seeing you do so well on, on that big stage on Home Soil. What was it like for you to have, I mean, that focus, that attention, you talk about your disappointments with the WNBL being so long, but, you know, after everything you've been through to have that public support so visible and that media support throughout your whole campaign, what did that personally mean to you?
1: Yeah, that was incredible. I felt a bit nervous as to how it was going to be um, laid out because you know the DBL had had some issues with promotes like that and Basketball Australia and I was a bit like, you know, edgy to see how it all kind of play out, but I think um how it was done and how, you know, it was promoted and and how it all went was was perfect and mm. I felt um I felt a lot of love. Um and I feel like the crowd engagement was second to none, like, you know, we just had so much like our singlets were in the crowd, our Mm. there was people screaming our names. It was like, oh my gosh, this is like how it should be. This is, this is what us as the opals, we want to impact. We want to positively impact. And we're Mm. back and we want to show the Australian public the tenacious, gritty, resilient opals Mm. of old, but in this new era. Um, And culturally we'll really sound led by the beautiful Tess Madgin. And um she did a phenomenal job. Mm. She was great. She allows us to lead. Yeah, she allows us to lead how we lead and she just, you know embraces us as we all help lead together and be this one big opal. <laughs> so um Sparkling yeah I think again. that answers your question. It was just just yeah. really um it, it was a good vibe and to get back to that place. Um yeah it was winning bronze to me felt way better than winning silver because you lose to get silver. Yeah. I I heard that yeah. described throughout
0: that whole process. I'm like, oh that actually makes a lot of sense. Like because yeah. for us it was the only thing, yeah. one. You know that yeah. that especially that last game, LJ finishing off her international career I the way know, that she did. That what kind of crazy. influence did she have on the team? What and being back? And yeah. did you know when she decided to play WNBL one that she? Did you know from the start that she would be um, back with the Opals? Oh, there'd
1: been some some chatter if she gets back into shape and comes into camp and performs well. Like why not? Like there'd been chatter. So and then it kind of became a bit more chatter. And then it was like, oh, here she is at camp. Oh, cool. And to actually have her, I've known Lauren for a long time and Mm. we've had like a friendship just like as a former Opal to a current Opal or, Mm. you know, Opal sister. But to actually get to know her as a teammate was phenomenal. Mm. She is a ripper human and super generous, loving, kind, just a huge sweetheart, Mm. Um, tenacious as all anything on the court. Um, And in that game, before the game the bronze medal game like lauren had always been pretty like when she's in like game mode she really lets us know like hey like you know a couple of expletives but like yeah you know
0: she, we're on we're on she here. said that in her episode and, on here that she's a bit like that yeah yeah in
1: her in the before the bronze medal game when she had a go and w- wasn't even having a go in a bad way but she just like let us know we we're like oh she's ready <laughs> she's really ready <laughs> and then she came out and did what she did and it was funny because I was on the court with her for about I don't know 26 of her 30 points in that like I swear like I just was running up and down like a headless took just watching her dominate it was like oh my gosh I'm just watching my idol and like she had this look about her that I hadn't seen since like I was watching her back in the day and I was as at home, on the, you know, watching the telly. Yeah. Um. So like, she had this look. Any time she was doing the same move, right shoulder fadeaway move, the whole time. Yes. She scored yes. almost every time, and I was like, ah, oh, she's just unstoppable. <laughs> and then she turned around and had this look, and I was—I think at one point I was laughing, like running back on defense, I was laughing. And yeah, then Sandy set me off and I was crying because I was so overwhelmed that we'd <laughs> want so happy. The, the emotions were just like. And then I went back to the hotel and had four glasses of prosecco, and I was really lit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how did, it,
0: did those celebrations last for a while?
1: Yeah, I think I got to bed at like two. Like I'm i am 33. I don't need to be doing all those young buck stuff anymore. <laughs> no. I was so exhausted. I had a bit of a dance, had some drinks and just to be around family and friends. But honestly, yeah. there were so many people there all night. It was just like. Thank you so much. I like talking. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh. Jaw hurts. Hurt. Smiling. Yeah. Cheeks so, hurt. Oh. hurt from, and then the, the adrenaline wears off too, like, from the tournament. So, like, the next day when I went home and for, like, maybe a week after that, like, I felt like I'd been hit by a bus. Mm. Like, I'm not kidding, like, a bus. All like you said, there was a me. lot of
0: pressure, right? Like there was yeah, a lot of The adrenaline going into wore that. off,
1: and I was sore. I could hardly <laughs> walk, talk. Mum was like, oh my goodness, what is wrong with you? And I was like, oh, it's oh, <laughs> I love it. I love so.
0: it. Yeah. Oh, well, we've loved you. Brought so much joy uh, to the Australian public and the Australian sporting fans. We absolutely loved watching you guys dominate um, and do well thank you. and bounce back after what was a difficult um, time in yeah. Tokyo. But thank you for being open with that. As I said, I think it's important oh, for course. the public to understand understand. understand and for all of us to understand how difficult that was and what exactly went went on over there yeah um we finish off every podcast by asking our guests if you could go back and tell that 10 year old self something go back and tell kayla george something about the road ahead might be about pearl might be about basketball might be about just your own self growth what would you go back and and tell that little kayla
1: I tell Kayla to don't let anyone determine my self worth unless it's me.
0: Mm. I love that. Don't let
1: anyone else determine it. And that's what you're telling. So them. That one's on me.
0: I have another question as well. If uh-huh. you could put anything
1: on a billboard, a
0: billboard on the main street, and that goes with your picture oh. and, a, and a quote that everyone driving past and every little girl and little boy could read, what would you put on that quote on that billboard? <laughs>
1: Oh, that's, oh, I'd probably put that, (laughs) don't let anyone else determine your self-worth except for you. Um, Get it, girl? I don't know, something crazy and loud. Um, That's a really good one. That's a really good one. Um, uh, I'm thinking about Michael Jordan's quote about you, um, don't make any of the shots you don't take or something like that. That's Mm. silly. Um, Honestly, probably anything about self-worth. I think this day and age with how social media Mm. is and how it's becoming and, young girls and um you know their self-worth and their lack of confidence when i talk to parents my daughter's not confident my daughter's not confident and help her in confidence and or you know i just think that there's a real area that needs attention and i i, I honestly anything to do with self-worth and reminding them who they are in a positive light because mm. um there's so much pressure on these kids to be this person on social media or be that, you know, mm. there's this a lot of pressure that probably we didn't have as kids because we didn't have, I was still like making mud cakes in the dirt oh, outside. I hate. These kids these yeah. days are on TikToks. So I, I know. The most, like, I know. You know. It's so scarier for us because now better. we're these kids' parents. Yeah. girls. Know, you've so got I, Pearl. It's like, oh. Yeah. yeah. Now
0: yeah, we're I parents. Think just
1: to keep, I would, I definitely want to, and I'm sure you're doing the same with your daughters, um just wanted to make sure that they know that they're loved, they're beautiful, they're. I just want them to have confidence so they can navigate mm. life in this in this be very kind. judgy space mm. yeah, to be kind, respectful, and and know that their self-worth is determined by them mm. and the people that they love around them and mm. no one else, because it can get a bit mean out there in this this world. Well, I started this
0: podcast originally because I wanted my little girl to know the stories about incredible sports women that we have here in Australia and be inspired by them. So when she's a little older and can have a uh, attention span that's longer than bluey, I can't wait for her <laughs> to hear all about your story and, and your messages. You're an absolute legend. I have enjoyed this chat so much, Kayla. Oh, so Thank much. you. Likewise. Thank, thank you so much for joining me here on On Her Game. Thank you, Sam.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer Lindsay Green, audio producer Nikki Sitch, executive producer Jennifer Goggin.